So as we said, we are in a series following Jesus together. We're going to spend a number of weeks around our first vision. We have recently changed our vision statement. God has led us into a new direction. And we talked um, about last week, if you weren't here, about walking in desire. We are desire-driven beings. And as the songs go, we can't get enough satisfaction. We don't know what we want. Some of the authors write in the music world. Desire is the beginning of your spirituality. Desire is the beginning to want Jesus. And Jesus has desires for you. Jesus does not diminish people's desires, but he does reshape them. He loves people who have expectation, who have desires. He desires for you to be people full of life, life and life to the full. He desires you to be people of power, filled with the Holy Spirit. He desires you to be free, free. He desires that for your life. He desires for you to be focused on Him. And he has unceasing good things for you. And so he said, following Jesus starts with desire. But it's kept by the habits that we keep. Your desire will only last as long as the habits that you put in place. That's why many Christians yo-yo, right? We have have the weight loss yo-yo. We have the Christianity yo-yo. Same principles. You started out the new year with a desire. I'm going to lose said amount of pounds. How many people actually succeed in that? How many of you have said that are still going halfway through the year? And so mostly we just like, I'll give up on the new goals in January, right? We don't even bother making New Year's resolutions because history has told us I'm just going to fall apart because our habits were not in place to keep that desire going. The invitation of Jesus is always, what do you want? The very first words of the Gospel of John was, what do you want? Jesus' invitation, as we looked at last week in Mark, Mark chapter 8, this important pivotal moment where Jesus in the eight chapters before in the Gospel of Mark laid out who he was as the Messiah. He's revealed as the Messiah to Peter. And then Peter decides, my desire of the kingdom of God is contrary to the way of Jesus. Because Jesus says, I'm going to go die, suffer. And that was contrary to the desire Peter had. Do you remember the story? And so he gets those wonderful words spoken over him. Get behind me, Satan. And that's a position that when our desires are in front of Jesus, when they're in front That is contrary to the way of the kingdom. And God is saying, get behind, get your desires in order with me, deny yourself, die, and follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but dying and following someone feels a little contradictory. I mean, if I die, I don't think I'm able to walk and follow someone. So the logic runs that something in us must die and something inside of us must live. There is a true self that is Christ-like. When you receive Jesus into your heart, you have a Christ-likeness inside of you. Make sense? But you also have a side which is false. False, contradictory to the way of Jesus. Paul would say it this way. I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I wish I did do. Anyone else have that argument thing inside of their heart going, I know we're not enough honesty in this room. I see some nods, not raids of hands. It's okay. We're all on the same page. 
But there's a false and true self. And so we left off talking about our habits, taking up our cross, is a habitual thing that we must do in our lives. It is a habit which we must understand and walk in for us to be followers of Jesus. So this message today is going to focus on the second part of the need to follow Jesus. These two principles, if we want to follow Jesus well, we've got to have desire, but we've also got to have habits in our lives which transform us. And so just a quick question again, why are you here today? What desire got you out of bed to be here today? Ask yourself that question. Why are you here? Is it historical history of habit I just turn up? Or do I have an expectation that God is going to do something new in my heart? I would encourage the latter to you today. That God wants to bring renewal to your heart. That he wants to make you a vessel that sees the kingdom come and the will be done in Washington and the surrounding areas. This is why we teach the way we do. Because we believe the kingdom is coming into this world. It's like a mustard seed. It is something that starts small but grows and grows and grows. We don't believe the narrative that this world is going to hell and being burnt up. We don't believe that. We believe that the gospel message that God gave each and every one of us is more powerful than we even realize. If Jesus said, make disciples of nations, if he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit empowered to change Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world, if that's the gospel message then why don't we believe it? Why do we believe in the second coming, which is so true that we need Jesus to save us again, when he's left us with the Holy Spirit to partner with him to change and transform our worlds? That is the vision that we are about. This is the community that we are rallying around, that we will be people that follow Jesus together. We grow in wholeness for the renewal of Washington. And so there are just some quick, what things are not about transformation? What lies do we believe in being spiritually formed? And there's just these three quick uh, lies that we can fall into. And this may be surprising to some of you. All I need is to know more. In the Western Greek life that we have Google and all the information. If I just know the five life hacks to change my walk, Johnny, I know I'm going to be better. Some of you come, Johnny, just give me the truth today. And I know if I just know this, I'm going to be transformed. I know that everything's going to happen. If I just know, then I will change. We have information overload and obedience deficit. We have information overload. I know so much, and it's increasing more and more, and I feel this shame and separation because I don't live what I know. Can I get an amen this morning? Yeah, it's a little subtle. I know, again, we're trying to fill the room out, but we all have an information overload and an obedience deficit. And so for us, we want to be people that know stuff. Jesus does transform us through the knowledge, through the word, but it has got to get into a habit. You can't just know more to change. It takes more than that. Another part which I grew up more so in, in the charismatic, it will happen automatically. If I just get in the presence of God, he's going to matrix download to me all the things that I need to know. 
Yes, good, there's some laughing in the room. Because we found out it doesn't work, though the presence of God can break and change things in a moment. Amen. There is miracles, there is breakthroughs, there's all sorts of amazing things. But it will not automatically happen in your life. If you think you're just going to turn up on Sunday morning and become the person that God has called you to, eh, not going to happen. Sorry, you're going to miss out. Because God is more than an automatic being. He is a co-laborer who wants to work with you to bring transformation in your life. And the third and final one in our self-sufficient Western American society, I can do it alone. I can do it alone. I've got my podcast. I've got my YouTube channel. I've got my favorite preacher on dial. I've got my Sunday morning. I've got what I need, Johnny, to do what I need to do. So why does Jesus leave the command in the, uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 13 where he says this, I give you a new command to love one another as I have loved you. This is the new command that he gives us to move forward with. Why does he give that? And he says, the world will know that you are my disciple by how you love one another. The New Testament has teachings on 59 different one another teachings. One another. Because if you follow Jesus, Jesus brings around a crew of people who think very differently. We had the zealot, Simon the zealot, you know, the fierce kind of terrorist. And then we had Matthew, the tax collector who worked for Rome, having coffee Monday morning. Jesus brought 12 around intentionally to bring about transformation because guess what? The best transformation happens when you walk with other people. You can say you believe everything, right? You can say you're a peaceful person, that I am so loving and patient. Get around people because it will get tested. Your love will get tested. We've been through a couple of years of pretty horrendous separation in this country. We are more the divided states of America than the United States of America. And the gospel says unify. The gospel, the final prayer of Jesus before he went to the cross was, I pray that you, Father, and me, that they would be like us. They would be one as we are one. That is the heart cry of the Father. And so we want to talk about today the importance of practice, which enables us to live that life. Dallas Willard says this, we intend what is right, but we avoid the life that it would take to make it a reality. Can I get an amen? We intend what's right. You have all the best intentions in the world. This room, I have no doubt, is full of intentions of I want for my life, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. Duke University did a study on why we make decisions. Why do we make decisions? And they found at least 40%, some studies up to 60%, of actions we choose, we take are not the product of our choice, but habits. We make our choices and our choices make us. I would say to you today, show me your habits and I will show you your future. Remember the old saying as we grew up as kids, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your habits 
and I will show you your future. The things that we do, do something to us. The things that we do repetitively, you have practices in your life. And so, when we mean habits, we also mean practices. The practices that you do, you get up in the morning, you clean your teeth, you get dressed. It's summer holidays, and so for the parents in the room who have their children back at home, we have some practices for them when they wake up. They must make their bed, get clothed, brush their teeth, um, and any other kind of little thing that we have for them. Before they get on any screens, before they start getting about their day, they've got to have some practices which re orientate them. And so the passage that we were in today, which is 1 Corinthians, so I encourage you, get your Bibles out, whether that's on your phone or whether you actually have a Bible here today. Bring out your scriptures and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I encourage you, if you come to this church, bring a Bible along. We have some Bibles at the back. I think it's really important we read together because Holy Spirit might bring something to mind for you while I'm preaching. And I believe that reading Scripture together is vitally important. The words will also be on the screen as well today. But let's dive into this passage here today because Paul, the New Testament writer, the prolific writer, he makes a comparison that following Jesus is like an athlete. Now, many of you might not feel like an athlete in the room, but bear with the principles. Several places, Paul speaks about running the race, fighting the good fight, receiving a prize or crown. That's what he does. He believes over and over again, run your race, fight the good fight, receive a prize or crown. Paul is relentless in this analogy because it is very part of the Greek culture. He's writing to the church in Corinth. We know the Olympics, which is from the Greek times. Corinth held the second biggest Olympic Games every two years. And so the running analogy would have been so prevalent in his culture and in his time. To run the race. Let's just remind ourselves what these verses says. It says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 25a. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize, unless you're a millennial? Everyone gets a prize, right? This was written some time ago where there were winners and losers. But only one gets the prize. Don't think for a moment that Christianity is performance-based. He's got a point. Run in such a way as to get the prize. There's a method that we all know when we are competing for a prize that only one gets, we're going to try, right? It's going to require all of us. It's going to require hours of training in the hidden, the right diet, the right mentality to be able to run the race because I want to be the winner. That's the reality. I want to win and I'm going to crush everyone else. I'm going to run in such a way that I want everything. He's not saying this is how you win by performance, but he's saying have a heart like the runners that say I am all in. I am all in. Carries on. Run in such a way to get a prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. I strike a blow to my body and make it my 
slave. Anyone who's worked out knows that principle that when we are doing reps every time, we are beating our muscles into submission. We let them heal and repair to expand. And every time we are repeating this pattern to strengthen ourselves over and over again. And so like the discipline of training for any sport, it requires us to have a repetitive discipline, a repetitive action. So our first point today, a discipline of practice. Now I want you to think about the discipline of practice. Through repetitive action, we learn what we could not do before. When we go into practice, we go to learn a new skill set. Can I have the soccer ball just for a sec? We're going to try just an illustration. So I'm English, so to me, this is like my, this is like my second nature. When a ball comes running along, it goes to my feet, not my hands. And so for me, uh, as, a, as a trainer, I would be practicing skill sets in my yard, just making sure I've got my passes, the fundamentals. We're going to try something here today. So we can do keepy-ups. So it's something we start on our left foot. And as a kid, I would keep doing this repetitively over and over and over again. And then when I got good enough, after maybe a year or so, I would switch onto the other foot. Look, there we go. So already not so good. Rachel was like, you're going to do that on the stage. What if you break something? I said, yep, we're going to try it. So here we go again. So flick up the one, the two, and then we try and do other skills. Here we go. Whoop. Hey, okay, there we go, done. All right, that's my showing off for the day. That did not come very quickly. That took years and years and still a bit rusty. But it was the practice over and over again that got me to where I was. Because this is the truth. Discipline of practice is the way of accessing a power that you did not have before. Discipline of practice... Well, breath now. <laughs> Take a moment. Out of practice. Woo. Leading worship and then doing this. Jeez. Discipline of practice is a way of accessing power that you did not have before. I was not able to pick that ball up and just suddenly start kicking it, right? Like when I lead worship, when I play guitar and sing, it was not just suddenly given to me in a moment. I had to practice years upon years. For the set today, I had to practice and listen to the song over and over again because discipline of practice brings about a power that you did not have before. So what soccer drills or maybe uh, scales on a piano, paradiddles on a drum set... What those practices mean to us develop a power that we did not have before. Love this definition of what spiritual practices are. It says this, spiritual practices are based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create a time and a space for us to access the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So spiritual practices are based on the lifestyle of Jesus and create time and space for us to access the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we are transformed from the inside out. That's what happens when we have our practices of reading the Bible, of praying, of fasting, of being generous, of being still before God, of resting in Sabbath. All of these practices begin to change us. Repetition 
over and over again. And so my question for you on the first point is, how is your discipline of practice? Because we know, however much you put in, you get out. Do you have a regular pattern of every morning that you get up, that you read your Bible and pray? Do you have that? There's studies out there that say that if you uh, do anywhere between four and five days a week, you will see transformation. But anything less than four days is nothing. So the repetition has to be higher than four times a week for any difference. And the difference is exponential. Anxiety, fear, all those things begin to remove. We need a discipline of practice. Second point today. As we carry on reading here. And they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Paul goes into an analogy of two points where people are missing the right goal. The first one contrasting. Those who run, run for something that's going to fade. When they miss, they miss the target and they don't aim for eternal things. They miss the point. And then he gives another analogy of someone that is just boxing the air. They're not hitting the target. They're missing their target. They're missing the whole picture. Because direction of practice is important. So if the discipline is important, the repetition, the direction, the aim that you have is just as important. I would argue this is why so many Christians burn out when it comes to spiritual formation. Because they've got the wrong direction. They've got the wrong target on their minds. See, we fix, as a good Christian, we fix our goal on the practice itself. So a lot of Christians, they deem if I'm doing the spiritual walk right, they say, well, Johnny, I read the Bible and pray every single day. I listen to podcasts. I do all the right things. And yet you know those Christians, and their life just doesn't measure up to what it looks like to be like Jesus. And let's be honest, we're all those people, right? We're all those people in this room because we fix our direction on the practice itself rather than the person it leads to. The goal is relationship with Jesus, not the practice itself. If I've just ticked a box and said, I've read scripture, good job, Johnny, and I've not encountered the living presence of God, I've missed the target. And that's why I've got so many Christians who are burnt out on religion because they don't get the target, the di they've got the discipline, they are disciplined people, but they're missing the target. John says this in, uh, on the night, again, going back uh, in John chapter 15, he says this, this is my, to my Father's glory. In other words, this is the goal of my Father, and it is that you would bear much fruit, Showing yourselves as disciples. Fruit, uh, Paul will later kind of give some direction to it, is the fruits of the Spirit, the characteristics, the love, joy, peace, patience, all that good stuff. And for him, that is the prize. But he goes on. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Your responsibility is not the fruits that you bear. The responsibility that you have, you and me have, is to be in contact, to be in connection, to remain in God. Like a tree bearing fruit, a tree you do not hear straining around here. You don't hear the groans of trees trying to produce fruit. No, it's because they abide in the ground and their natural identity flows out when they're, when they're rooted to the right source. Am I making sense this morning? Like This is the part, because some people have burnt out making this the goal of just reading, of turning up on Sunday mornings, and they miss the target. The direction is for us to abide in Jesus. And so for you, how is your aim today? Are you aiming today? Did you come today? Because I want to encounter the presence of God. Did you come with a desire to know that I want to know Jesus more in my life? Did you have that direction here today? How is your aim in the mornings? I love this. Do you have a principle of scripture before screens? Before we lean over to the side table to check our notifications, text messages, Facebook, social media. Before we do that, do we pick up this? Before we do this, do we do this? Where is your aim? Third point here today. 1 Corinthians 9.27. And I've taken this from the ESV because I, I love this, this point here. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. I discipline my body and I keep it under control. For any of you fanatics in the room of weight loss, we all know that it is, and my wife reminds me of this, it's 80% dieting, 20% working out. That's how you lose weight. But it's a both and and. It's not just working out, and it's not just dieting that we have to do to change. We have to diet and work out. Can I get an amen? That's the principle that we have to. It's never just one thing. It's this and this. It's this and this. And this is how we approach spirituality because we believe that maybe it's just one thing. Maybe you're really good at just reading your Bible. And maybe you're missing out on what Jesus calls us to, a diversity of practices. See, you are never just meant to follow Jesus just by reading your Bible and praying, though that is amazing. Can you imagine if I just turned up one day and just like, guys, I've come to play with you guys. Let's go. Let's just play. And they're like, yeah, but that's, you're just doing this. You're just practicing on one thing. How is that helping anybody? And we turn up to spirituality exactly the same. I come up, I'm reading my Bible. And it's like, yeah, but there are other practices which transform the way that we live. And a lot of times as Christians, we are just turning up with the one thing when God is wanting to impact all of you. Remember when Paul said that I beat my body. You are not just a mind or a heart. You are a body. Isn't it interesting that when all is said and done, when Jesus comes again, he's going to resurrect your body. He's going to renew your body, which means that Jesus, God, values your body. Yes, you're going to get a new body. Yes and amen. Like it's going to be cool. I don't know if we're going to have spiritual powers, you know, whether we're going to just be able to eat anything and nothing sticks to us. You know, I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to be brand new. All the pain and suffering is going to be gone. 
But we have a body in the new life, which means that God values your body now. How we transform ourselves is not just mind and heart. It is also our body as well. I want to introduce you to a slide here this morning that is going to help roadmap where we are going for the next coming weeks. Because this is the principle we are basing ourselves on today. There are multiple practices in this spiritual walk. John Mark Comer says this, if we want to have the life of Jesus, we must take on the lifestyles of Jesus. If we want the life of Jesus, Jesus says that we would do greater works than him. Amen. Like we're going to do more than he could. But he says you must take on the lifestyles. Put into practice is what he says in Matthew in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you put into practice these things, you will be like a person who builds their house on a rock. If you don't do these practices, you will be like a person who built their house on a sand. It's the children principle that we have. Again, do you want this? Desire motivates the habits. Habits keeps the desires. And so for us, this is what it looks like. Again, there is diversity in this practice. There is alone and community. There are practices that you should do alone. You should have a space where you can pray and intercede. You should have a prayer closet or a space that you enjoy to spend your time with Jesus. That is an important practice. But it's not the only practice. Because guess what? You're in a practice right now. You are gathering together. We gather together as a practice to help shift and change our hearts. We have connect groups back there to do this life together in community following Jesus together. And so we have celebration. We want to practice celebration, church. Yeah, there we go. There we go. It's like, because honestly, that was a perfect reaction because that's what church looks like. It's not fun. It's not joyful. I don't like going to church, but my mom made me, so I kind of just keep on doing it. I don't enjoy going to church, mom. I just don't find it because I think we've missed the practice of celebration. I think we've missed the fact of having fun. Confession, we'll get onto that, but it's good. Um, and then we've got the other one, abstinence and engagements. Abstinence to remove things from your life. Can I speak to America just for a moment? You know where I'm going. Your consumption is a problem. The amount of burger shops that you have in one square mile is insane. The amount of pizza shops. I'm always to Rachel, how is there another pizza shop going in? Like we have every type of pizza. I didn't know there was that many pizzas, to be honest. Like it's amazing. Go down 19. And car washes. I don't, don't even get me on start on car washes right now. We don't know. But again, the consumption, the over-consumer of the Western society that says, uh, to be successful is to have everything. That is counter to the gospel. It's counter to the gospel. And so there are practices which we abstain from. We abstain. We cut out and get alone with Jesus. We fast. We're going to be talking about that as well. I'm not talking about Daniel, eat fruit and veg. No, fasting is removal of food. Missing a meal, missing a day. That, that is the theological. We've, we've, we've shifted. It's great. Great. It's great to cut things out like social media fast, sure. It's probably even more powerful right now um, with the age of distraction, but fasting. Then the other side, we, we abstain, but together, I rest. 
I know that I am not God of my life. I make a crappy God. I can't be the answer to everybody. And so to rest is to say that you are God and I am not. And I rest. To abstain from doing, to rest in his presence. To be generous, to say, I'm going to give of my finances. Because God, I know that you are the generous provider. And I'm going to abstain from my own need. And I'm going to trust you. Quick overview of all the practices that we do. But how many of those actually do you even practice? Are you a type A like me who is a go, 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 and sitting still is really difficult for me? Being still, Ralph, me and you, buddy, we're just like, as soon as we stop, we have a million things we know we need to do. And so we have some problems. There are some of these ones that you're just like, that's my jam. Like community, love being around people, I will practice that all day long. Getting alone by myself, heck no. For some of you who are introverted, you're like, all the alone time, please, Jesus. Can we just get alone by ourselves? I'm down. And so we've got, because of our personalities, we have things that are more uh, easy for us and some that are really hard for us. But I think we are not being transformed into the likeness of Christ because we are not having the diversity of practices which change us. We are only letting God touch part of our lives. It's only in certain areas of your life that you'll let him. And so the invitation today is, will you surrender? I love this quote from Henry Nouwen that says this, and we'll finish and land with this today. Spiritual practices offer creative boundaries within which God's uh, loving presence can be recognized and celebrated. That line alone was worth coming today. Practices offer creative boundaries because we need boundaries. Boundaries are good. Structures are good for us because if we just trust our desires, we will always be pulled in every which direction, right? So we need boundaries. And the practices reveal, guess what? God's loving presence for you. Can I tell you today, I'm not preaching about do better, Christian. I'm saying, would you fall in love more, Christian? Would you rehabituate your life around the way of Jesus to find his loving presence. And guess what? We get to celebrate when we know how good he is. We get to turn up together. We get to be the most joyful beings on earth because guess what? God made joy. He is the most joyful person, whatever God deity that you want because he invented it. He invented joy. We get to celebrate together. It does not prescribe, but it invites. It does not force, but it guides. It does not threaten if you don't. And maybe you're putting a lens on me right now from previous preachers that told you if you didn't do this, you're going to hell. That is not the invitation. The invitation is there's life and life to the full. Do you want it? Are you tired of living the way that you are living right now? Do you want life and life to the full? If you don't, that's fine. I'm not going to force you. But you might find it frustrating this war. It does not instill fear, but it points to love. In this, we are called to freedom, freedom to love. It's the end goal. The end goal of these disciplines, remember, I couldn't do keepy-ups, and still a little questionable, but I couldn't do them before without practice. Do you want to become, is your vision, your desire as a Christian to be more loving, to be more kind, to be more compassionate? Because that's the goal of Jesus for your life. If you want it, we're going to be going on a journey together about this.
because we want to live free lives. It's not just a download. It's not just going to happen to you. I love this, and I'll land with this today. Dallas Willard says this, Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning it. Grace is favor, right? Grace is, grace is not just for forgiveness. Grace empowers you and me to do things we could never do before, like preaching here in front of you. Never could do that before. God and his grace empowered me. Grace is not opposed to effort. We've been preached the wrong gospel. There is effort that God wants you to put in, but you cannot earn it. You cannot earn the free gift. And so today, let's just bow our heads if we just put some ministry music on, just lower the lights, just to set a mood for us this morning as we just come to reflect on our desires here today.